Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the fuck. What the fuck gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. So your folks are going out of town. Tomorrow. You got the place all to yourself? Yeah. What the fuck? From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today, because she deals in human fulfillment, is my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as The Unenthusiastic Critic. <laughs> Hello. On today's episode, Nakia and I are sitting down for her first viewing of Tom Cruise's breakout movie, Risky Business, from 1983. So, Nakia, as we have discussed before, the mission of The Unenthusiastic Critic, such as it is... Has, has a lot of different components. You make them up as we go along? Pretty much. We watch popular, universally beloved movies that everyone else on the planet except you has already seen. That was sort of the original brief, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes... Okay, but let's already, let's amend that. Because you say the planet, what we're actually talking about is America. <laughs> yeah, because sure. there are quite a few films internationally that you also have as such. So this is a very... Is a very American-centric project, but yes, okay. You want to narrow that down further? I know you do. Uh, white male American-centric <laughs> project. Okay, that's that's what I thought, and actually, that's sort of where I was going with this. Mm-hmm. But you know, we we sometimes watch more obscure movies if they're critically acclaimed or hidden gems that not everybody has necessarily seen, mm-hmm. and quite often we watch movies that I just think would be fun to discuss with you for whatever reason. So yeah, our our parameters are, as you suggested, loose. But as the project has come together over the years, and here we circle back to what you just said, I think there has been a subtextual component of this that is simultaneously autobiographical and sociological, You're right? this way more important <laughs> than it actually is. But okay, sure, let's let's take this road. I mean, basically, I end up showing you movies that I think of as classics, Mm -hmm. meaning they were popular when I was a child or a teenager. For the most part, yes. During the 70s and 80s. We have done more 80s movies than we have done any other decade, Mm -hmm. because that was my teenage years, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so I show you these movies, and I'm like, oh, this is a classic. You absolutely have to see this. And then you end up saying, why? Yes. (laughs) An example, I think, would be Better Off Dead. I barely remember. Right. You didn't get that at all, and you'd never heard of it. You had no idea why we were watching it. To me, that is just a staple, an indispensable staple. I literally barely remember it. Cinematic history. Is that the one with the... The Black Garbage Man? Yes. Okay, that's Which is the only, all I remember from the that The only film. scene you liked and <laughs> the only scene you remember. <laughs> that's okay. That's a shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white yes, boy like that. That's Yes, okay. <laughs> now I remember. And so, it's you know, whether we're talking about Rocky movies mm. or James Bond movies, 
or Top Gun or Stripes or Diner. I feel like what we end up doing is putting the white American male of my generation on on the analyst couch. I've barely begun to scratch the surface there. So, (laughs) you know, I just poke at it a little bit. I haven't dug deep into it but yeah sure it's, it's sort of an abyss that you just don't i don't want to go there into. i don't want to go there <laughs> you poke at the dead body and you keep walking so you, you know the truth is i actually enjoy that even though you frequently completely ruin movies for me that i previously enjoyed mm. I think it's healthy. I think it's healthy to look at these films through other eyes, in this case, your eyes, and at least sort of question what kind of messages they may have been sending during my formative years. Mm. Uh, And obviously, I'm bringing it up this week because I think this is going to be another one of those movies. What do you actually know about Risky Business? Very little. Uh, I know it stars Tom Cruise. I know the scene where he's sliding across the floor and his tidy whities and his sort of pink Oxford shirt and the Ray-Ban Wayfarers. I feel like that scene is the take That's like what has remained in the popular culture is that scene. And there's some sort of inappropriate relationship with Rebecca De Mornay. Okay. That's all I know. All right. Okay. So let's briefly a little background on this. Written and directed by Paul Brickman, and it's a one-shot wonder. Brickman directed one other movie, the Jessica Lange drama Men Don't Leave in 1990, which I think I have seen but do not remember, and I think that's a common reaction. He wrote a few more screenplays, both before and after this, but he basically fell out of Hollywood. I've read a couple of interviews with him, and it sounds like he just didn't like Hollywood at Mm. all, or at least not enough to capitalize on the success of this movie the way he might have done. This is a Chicago movie, filmed all over Chicago, primarily in the Highland Park suburb. Mm. This is the same Ferris Bueller suburb. And coming back again to your point, Paul Brickman has said that the working title for this movie was White Boys Off the Lake. That would have been better. (laughs) I think so, too. Apparently, the studio thought that sounded like an off-Broadway play, according to Brickman, (laughs) so they had to come up with something else. Every white boy in Hollywood auditioned for this part. Apparently, Timothy Hutton, John Cusack, Michael J. Fox, Nicolas Cage, Rob Lowe, and a young Tom Hanks were all considered for this part. Uh, But it did turn out to be Tom Cruise's breakout movie, released the same year as All the Right Moves, which is the other film that put him on the map. I have not seen it. It's a football movie. It's a high school football movie. We can watch that one if you'd like. No, thank you. (laughs) Uh, Supposedly, and, you know, a lot of this comes from, like, IMDb, and I never trust that shit because anybody can just go in there and make stuff up. Supposedly, Diane Lane, Sharon Stone, Brooke Shields, and Kim Basinger were all considered for the female lead, but it was Rebecca DeMornay's first film, and she, in fact, was cast before Cruz was. Cruz said they brought him in to read with her, and actually it did not go well, but somehow he got the part anyway. (laughs) And reading the reviews from 1983, if you were putting your money on one of these two people to become the biggest star in the world, it would have been Rebecca DeMornay. Everybody was like, she's really good. Who's that Tom Cruise guy? Right, who's that Tom Cruise guy? Interesting. Okay, so I have not seen this movie in, what, nearly 40 years, 35 years, I don't know. Certainly since I was a teenager, I have not gone back and watched this movie. And I think part of that is it does, it's very 80s. This is a very 80s movie. And then the whole what Tom Cruise has become thing, I think I just never wanted to go back and revisit this. 
it was it was a pretty huge movie at the time. On a budget of six million dollars, it made ten times that at the box office. I think it was the number seven or eight movie of the year. And I don't know that I ever would have said it was one of my favorite movies, but I know I saw it back then, certainly five or six times. It was one of those movies we rented when me and my friends were getting together to rent movies. Because of Rebecca DeMornay? I mean, that's that's one of the things I'm curious to find out. Because here's the thing. You assume a lot about white teenage boys. <laughs> <laughs> like, we were not into, like, Porky's had come out either the same year or just recently, which is sleazy yes. TNA sex comedy. We actually weren't into that. I'm not saying we didn't like naked women in movies. We certainly did. Mm-hmm. But that was not our vibe. I actually think, and this is one of the things I'm curious. You were in the intellectual group? I'm not going to claim that either. (laughs) The cultured group. But I do think this might be a better movie than we expect it to be. Okay. The reviews of this are, were really good. Uh, It's got like a 92% critical score on Rotten Tomatoes. Roger Ebert gave it four stars. Hmm calling it one of the smartest, funniest, most perceptive satires in a long time. It not only invites comparison with The Graduate, it earns it. Okay. Okay. So this is one of the things I'm interested in finding out because looking, I looked back at the, the early reviews and there seems to be sort of disagreement among critics about whether it is capitalist wish fulfillment fantasy or a satiric critique of capitalism. It may be trying to have it both ways. That's that. I th- I suspect it probably is, and I suspect I probably reacted to it one way when I was fourteen years old mm-hmm. and thought that's really cool, and that's sort of why I'm interested to go back and revisit it at <clears throat> the age that I am now. What's that? The the age that I am now. People can do the math on that. It's not hard. If I was fourteen in nineteen eighty three, they can figure <laughs> that out. I'm not going to do it for them. Okay, so so what are you expecting? Out of risky business? Um, not a whole lot. I mean, I think it's... I am a little bit interested in the early Tom Cruise. Hmm. Uh, what do you find interesting about that? Well, I think it's interesting to see an actor before they become a thing. Okay. And he became... Like, Tom Cruise is... He's still a he's, huge thing. He's a huge star, and he's sort of in his own realm. Like, that, <laughs> he's a very particular mm. star, and there's, there's a weird energy around Tom Cruise. <laughs> That's putting it lightly. And so I think it's interesting to see, like, was it always there? Like, was he always a little bit? Like, could you see that was going to be? I mean, I, I think it was. And it's, I have read comments that both uh, Bronson Pinchot, who's in this movie, mm-hmm. and Curtis Armstrong, uh, for, the, for the sake of clarity, Booker. Okay. <laughs> Poor Curtis Armstrong. He's going to be Booker forever. He probably forever. hates that. Like, I'm sure he, I'm do- I'm sure he does. But if you want to tell someone who Curtis Armstrong is, that's just the shortest route. Mm-hmm. He was also the principal in uh, New Girl, wasn't he? Yes, he, he was. Yep. So, okay. He's also in Better Off Dead. Again. <laughs> Total blank. You remember him from the 80s classic, Better Off Dead. Total fucking blank. <laughs> you know who I remember? The Black Garbage Man. I met him once. I was at a protest with him once. He's a very nice guy. Yeah, so I've read, there's a really interesting interview with Bronson Pinchot and the AV Club. It's for their Random Roll series that mm-hmm. I will link to. He he had he had some really interesting comments to say about Tom Cruise at that age. But one of them was, they asked him, did you guys know Tom Cruise was going to be what he turned out to be? And he was like, no way. <laughs> He's like, we didn't get him at all. And then he made a lot of other comments about how, and this, we don't like to get into this too much, but it certainly comes up around Tom Cruise. 
Hincho says that you'd be hanging out with Tom Cruise and be like, isn't it a great day today? Thank God there are no gay people around. Oh. Like, stuff like that. Mm. That's unfortunate. <laughs> that Hincho seemed to be suggesting was overcompensating yeah. for something. That's unfortunate. <laughs> Really so, okay. So, I'm sorry. I That was a long tangent, <laughs> but you said you were interested in seeing the, the early Tom Cruise. So, say what you will about his choices, which I think he's actually made some interesting choices. He has made some very interesting choices. Over the course stuff of like his career. The Kubrick film, right. Eyes Wide Shut, and Magnolia, and stuff like that. That sometimes fully lean into and play into that, that just very weird vibe. Mm-hmm. That he, It's almost like a... A weird cognitive dissonance because you could look at him and you go, oh, straight American, total A-list man. Right. And then there's just a little bit of a weirdness to it that kind of makes him interesting. But then you're like, oh, but does this come from like the Scientology stuff? And <laughs> right. is he also homophobic? And, is, and so it's you want to sort of you're interested in it and you sort of want to applaud it because it's like, oh, you could have been a lot more boring than you actually. You're kind sure. of interesting. Sure. But is it coming from a place that's a problem? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm I'm interested by Tom Cruise. Um, okay. I just think he's a. I don't know that there's another actor like that that has that. He's definitely in the. You know, people talk about is somebody an actor or a movie star? Mm-hmm. He is a. Movie he's a star. movie star. Yes. And there, I don't think there are a lot of that level movie stars left anymore. Mm-hmm. I think Hanks has that. Although, but Hanks doesn't have like it's. There's something slightly off about him. And I think that's what I... Whereas Tom Hanks doesn't have... And that's partly the Tom Hanks thing is that Tom Hanks is... He was fucking... What's his name? With the sweaters. Mr. Rogers. Yes, he was Mr. Rogers. Right. And everyone's like, of course Tom Cruise Right. And he's I apparently mean, the nicest person in the world. Right. Tom Cruise is like, that's... I think they asked... I think it was Pinchot in that same interview that because he also worked with Tom Hanks mm-hmm. and they asked him that same question and he was like, "No, Tom Hanks is actually, just that nice, right? And just, just exactly a who you being. think he is." And Tom, it, like, Tom it's just is there something like, you can't quite put your finger on him. Is it that he's so much that American thing? Maybe that he that it just crosses that line into self parody. I mean, is it that kind of thing? Sort of. Possibly. I mean, what was your reaction to him in, I, I think, Top Gun? It's the only other Tom Cruise movie we've watched. Well, I mean, he was a dick. Like, it, that was... <laughs> <laughs> but it was playing to that... It was absolutely playing that to that... Archetype. But I think the weirdness wasn't there. Okay. In that... Yeah, it's, see, he's weird. He's a weird one for me. <laughs> and I, I can't quite put my finger... I can't even say oh, I don't enjoy Tom Cruise films, because right. that's not true. There are things that I have enjoyed him in. You like the Mission Impossible? I like because I, I think well. he's very good in that. Mm-hmm. I think he, that he found a, that, a niche right. for that's himself, niche for... and and they're really well done, and he seems very deeply committed to them. What's your favorite Tom Cruise movie? Oof, that I would have to think about a little bit because I have soft spots for a few things that he's done that people that were not necessarily good films. So like you what? know, I love Interview with Vampire. Oh, yeah. It's not a good film. <laughs> no, it was not, and he was horribly cast. In that. <laughs> I think he's so interesting in it, and like he made that choice. <laughs> and that kind of fascinates me a little bit. Yeah, he's just he's an he's he's an interesting aspect of Hollywood, and I don't I don't I can't quite put my finger on what it is about him. And maybe it is just the, the Scientology stuff and everything else um, <laughs> that gives him like that just undercurrent of intensity that makes you very uncomfortable, but you can't stop watching him. 
You just look at him. And you're you like, just look at him. There's something yeah, there's going something on here. There's something going on, and you wouldn't really want to be alone in a room with him because Tom Cruise could quite possibly convert me to whatever <laughs> in not a whole lot of time. Because what? I just, I think, really, I think so. Like, okay, I, that may, now wait a minute. That makes it sound like, like you're a, attracted to him. No, not at all. That's the thing. I see why I mean, he you, is attractive. I think I'm not attracted to him. I did find him attractive in an interview with Vampire <laughs> though. Um, <laughs> he's just it's a weird thing of just like it's it's like if he locked eyes with you you're fucked like you're done so it it will it will penetrate in a way that you're not ready for and like is this like meeting like charles manson or somebody sort of that sort of magnetic or it's like i cannot be alone in a room with you i can't (laughs) i I had no idea you felt this way about tom cruise this is interesting this is why we do this Like, I know for I can't be alone in a room with that man. Because I will give him everything. Though, yeah, okay, sign me up. Wow. <laughs> you will become his next fake wife. <laughs> all right, well, let's go find out where it all began. Risky Business is currently streaming on HBO Max, which I think is how we're going to watch it. And it's available to rent from most of the other services. So when we get back, we are going to talk about Risky Business. <laughs> So your folks are going out of town. Just use your best judgment. You know we trust you. You got the place all to yourself? A good time, Joel. In the privacy of your own home. Just take those old records off the shelf. That's her. She's fantastic. Yeah. Good time last night. I had a great time. Today's music ain't got the same song. You ever get high, Joel? Don't let me do anything stupid. Don't worry. Who's the U-boat commander? I don't remember giving permission for a party, Joel. A party? I've got a trig midterm tomorrow and I'm being chased by Guido, the killer pimp. Doesn't anyone want to accomplish anything or do we just want to make money? Make money. Make a lot of money. There's a time for playing it safe. And a time for risky business. And we're back. During the break, Nikki and I watched (laughs) Risky Business. All right, so let's start here. So I hadn't thought about this before, and you haven't seen any of these movies, I realize, but mm-hmm. 1981, so a couple of years before this, there was a comedy called Night Shift okay. with Michael Keaton and Henry Winkler, in which they end up running a brothel out of a morgue. Sexy. Henry Winkler is a morgue attendant, Very and they sexy. end up running a brothel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the same year as Risky Business, there was a movie called Dr. Detroit with Dan Aykroyd. I believe he's a professor of literature mm-hmm. who ends up running a string of sex workers in this ridiculous, he pretends to be this character called Dr. Detroit that is so over the top absurd. I don't even know how to describe it. I'm sure it's a stereotype of a black pimp. Okay, so my point is, apparently this was an early 80s thing Mm -hmm. of meek white dudes (laughs) who end up as pimps. Finding themselves. Yes. Eat, pray, fuck. (laughs) I was just wondering if you have any thoughts on what that phenomenon might be about. I mean, there's a certain level of wish fulfillment there, right? Of Like thinking that even with all the privilege that you have... (laughs) 
you're also owed adventure and excitement and danger. And a string of... And a string of women available at your beck and call. So it's a very... I mean, it's a white male, heterosexual. <laughs> like, of course. What's your dream job? To run a brothel? <laughs> I want to be a pimp. I don't think it's actually a very glamorous job. So what did you, what did you make of this movie? Mm, it was fine. I think it definitely wasn't... I do think the term teen sex comedy doesn't quite fit. No, I was going to ask you if it was what you expect. What this is. One, I didn't find any of it funny. But then two, yeah, when I hear that and 80s, I think more, you know, John Hughes and those mm, sorts of films. Right. This was a little darker. Yeah. Is it even a comedy? Would you even, I mean. I mean, I didn't find Obviously, it like, classically, structurally, the situations are. Supposed to be are comic. Right. But they do play it. It's filmed almost more like a drama. Yes. I don't know if we're supposed to be like, ha ha, those are. And it's not particularly funny. You're right. There's some funny lines. But... Having sex with sex, like. Is that a joke? Is that funny? <laughs> but it's not like Revenge of the Nerds no. or, you know, one of those movies. No. The studio actually wanted it to be more like that. But yeah, it has a weird tone to it. Yes, it does. So I think that took a little bit of an adjustment on my part. Of like, okay, this isn't quite what I thought it was going to be. I don't know that I loved it. Okay. I don't know that I was expecting you to love it, but it sounds like maybe you came closer to liking, <laughs> to liking it, than, it I than hating it. Sure. I mean, well, I appreciate it for what it like. I appreciate the fact that I, I imagine that was something very different at the time that it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I appreciate what it was trying to do. But yeah, I don't, I'm not quite sure that I would go all the way to like, oh yeah, really. Like, I think it, it was well done. <laughs> it's a very well filmed movie. It's very well filmed. It's really a shame that Paul Brickman only made one more movie. In his life. I don't know that I would ever watch that. Usually my gauge is like, would I sit down and watch that again? Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would sit down and watch it again. Okay. What did you like about it? Uh, did you like the score by Tangerine Dream? <laughs> it was very synth pop score. Yes, I did <laughs> like the score. As you said, the filming was really interesting. A lot of sort of first person perspective and sort of tunnel vision mm-hmm. sort of thing. I thought Rebecca De Mornay was great. Mm-hmm. I still probably prefer her in The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. <laughs> you like that movie. <laughs> really like it's that. sort of disturbing how much you like that movie. <laughs> and there are some problematic aspects of that movie. <laughs> you think? Uh, in, yeah, in, yeah, we're going to go there. But, uh, <laughs> but I thought she was really good. And so we went into this with my whole thing about Tom Cruise. Yes. This was interesting because he wasn't... If I had watched this, I would not have pegged him as like, that's going to be the guy. Oh, no. Mm-mm. That's the dude that's going to be ridiculous A-list movie star, internationally known. And I don't know if that's just good acting on his part. Like, he downplayed perhaps his natural charisma. I mean, he does. Charisma. For most of the movie, he downplays yeah. that. Um, and I think I read they actually had him, that he was a little buffer mm-hmm. when they when he came in. Because he I think he'd been doing, like, The Outsiders. And, you know, other movies he'd been working on. So they sort of had him, somehow had him both gain weight and lose weight because they wanted him to have more baby face. Yeah. And yeah, so he doesn't, he's, he's not cool. He's no. not confident. No. So the good thing about the way that he played the character, I didn't hate him. That could have easily been a character that you hated. Yes. And I didn't. And then part of that may have been the fact that he was able to really sort of lean into the, not loser vibe. Like he wasn't a loser, <laughs> but like life was relatively speaking it was things were a struggle for him like it wasn't yes and he was just hyper aware of himself and hyper paranoid and afraid of everything mm-hmm. and so i was thinking about that i i think i said at the beginning you know i was i was curious to go back and watch this and see why we liked it when i was 14 15 years old mm-hmm. and i do think for one thing it, it is a better movie than 
Revenge of the Nerds or some of yeah. those other movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a more interesting movie mm-hmm. than those. But I also realized that it's, I mean, me and my friends were relatively good kids. We were college track kids. We didn't get into trouble. And that's what this movie is about. Mm-hmm. It's about the good kid who is afraid he's going to fuck up his whole life if he, you know, takes a chance and does something wild or, Mm -hmm. you know, risks getting in trouble. Oh, my God, I'm not going to get into college. Oh, I'm going to ruin my life, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But also, I guess the challenge then with the audience, or at least with me as an audience, is sitting there and saying, you're going to be fine. Like, (laughs) you could have literally (laughs) done just about anything. Uh Uh-huh. And still been fine. So, and maybe that's that sort of tension that we were talking about earlier of, is this sort of an indictment of capitalism Mm -hmm. and and privilege, or is it sort of just fully leaning into it and there's a celebration of it? But it was just hard for me to take it. Like, there was no risk for his future. He was... Well, but it's within the context of who he was Mm -hmm. and at least the perception of all this pressure to be a success, to go to a good school, et cetera, which a lot of kids, I mean, yes, you are, they're steeped in privilege no matter what they do. And you're right, they're going to be fine no matter what they do. But there is that parental expectation of you need to go to Princeton, you need to go to Harvard, et cetera. I personally didn't have that. My parents didn't give a fuck, but I know other kids did have that. Mm -hmm. And I think I could relate to that, just that fear of, it never even occurred to me to call a hooker. That that would not even have been. On my radar, but even if it's like, oh, if you smoke a joint, somehow you're going to fuck up your whole life. It's going to end up on your record. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be the one guy that gets in trouble, you know, goes to jail Mm -hmm. for going to one party, that kind of insecurity and anxiety, Mm -hmm. which I think is part of where he is at the beginning of this movie. Sure. You know, the guy can't even jerk off. He he tries to masturbate and his own neuroses intrude. (laughs) Where he is suddenly fantasizing that the cops are outside with the bullhorn yelling at him. Joel, get off the babysitter. So he just needed, I mean, he just needed some therapy. That's your answer to everything. Because, I mean, you you just need some therapy. (laughs) Just go talk to someone. Release yourself. All right. I I mean, so let's go through this movie just a little bit. We don't have to hit every scene. I I figured you wanted to talk about the very opening scene, though. Why would I want to talk about that? The the dream sequence. Oh, the shower scene? (laughs) I mean, it's, it is not a novel concept at this point. Like, I don't know how many shower scenes we've seen in these movies from the 80s, but that seems to be the way that men like to engage with the women of their dreams is from afar staring at them in a shower as they... And a surprising number of movies want to open that way. Yeah. So the very first thing you see is that, what was it we just watched recently? Dressed uh, to Kill. Dressed to Kill. Opens with yes. the, the steamy shower scene. Yes. yes. So I don't, I don't know what that... Okay. <laughs> Dudes like soapy boobs in it. All right, sure. Or like, is it an excuse to get the woman naked? Like, it feels less. Well, well yes, I think it is. Well, but it, does it feel less sort of tawdry if she's in a shower versus you? It, it's oh, not, you mean in the fantasy? Right. Like, she needs to start in the shower. Exactly. So it's just. But yeah, I don't. I mean, it's it's old now. Let's not. Let's get away from the shower. <laughs> okay. So basic situation is this kid's parents are going out of town for I don't know what are they gone like a week? I don't know how long they're gone, but. I don't think my mom ever went out of town. Your mom never left you alone? I don't think. I mean, she left me alone to go to work and to go out, but it was never like, oh, you're going to be home by yourself for a week or something. I don't recall her ever going out of town. Yeah, I don't think. I don't actually, now that you say that, I don't know that I was ever left alone for any period of time either. And it wouldn't have been because it was like, oh, we can't leave Nikki alone because I, of all people, I would have 
been fine alone. <laughs> Wouldn't have even had an inkling to do anything at all. But yeah, I don't. It's I, it's those sort of tropes in films. Where it's like I don't think that's ever happened in my life. I, I've, they've never gone away. So you never made yourself a frozen dinner and danced around the house in your underwear to Bob Seger. I my childhood had no frozen <laughs> dinners in it. We had leftovers. We didn't have frozen dinners. We're not doing that. No. What about the dancing around to Bob Seger in your underwear? Definitely not Bob Seger. <laughs> what What did you What did you think of that quote unquote iconic scene? I mean, it's kind of goofy. Um, very <laughs> but it is iconic for a reason it's a very it's a very effective little sequence i think it's funny that that's what's remembered from this movie when that is tonally mm-hmm. out of touch with the rest of this movie mm-hmm. it's like that's the movie the studio wanted to make yeah and watching it now it's like that's kind of an odd scene in this movie yeah yeah um all right well talk to me about joel future enterpriser of america uh joel Joel is a driven young man, but not necessarily driven by his own desires or dreams. He's driven by everyone else's expectations of him and the expectations of his peers. And he's afraid of himself. He's afraid of the world. He's afraid of failure, and but is measuring himself against a rubric that he didn't define and quite possibly doesn't agree with. But Joel will grow up to be a wealthy middle-aged man you know, working Wall Street or something like that, and we'll, you know, do coke or... <laughs> you think the 80s was all about coke? Because it was. Or pick up some, you know, weird hobby that makes him feel manly and free and not quite sure what it would be, but it would be weird. Pimping, apparently. Apparent pimping, sure. <laughs> so that whole, you're talking about the expectations for mm-hmm. him and all of that. David Denby, in his review in New York Magazine, made what I thought was an interesting point. And he didn't particularly like the movie. He called it confused, strange, and openly corrupt. (laughs) (laughs) But this was the point I thought was interesting. He said, and I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said in the 60s and 70s, the comedies about teens were all about rejecting wealth and careerism and status Mm -hmm. and all of these things. That sort of going against the establishment what was expected of you and he said to be a teen in the 80s the expectation was that you would win at all of that Mm -hmm. at the end of the movie Mm -hmm. you would prove yourself successful you would make a lot of money you would you know triumph you would get into the ivy league school all of that which i i think is true and i think it's part of why we 80s kids are fucked up because people expected you to I think succeed. These were the Reagan years. It was just, yeah, these were, this was not. But this was also a world or a country, I should say, that basically plotted that path for you. So again, I go back to you, you were going to be fine. <laughs> Do I look fine to you? Well, you made weird choices. Um, you went out of your way. <laughs> so like... <laughs> I rejected the establishment. Let's call it that. Uh, or you majored in fucking neuro linguistics or something. Like it would just <laughs> narrative. Ling- so that was your choice. Yeah, I mean, I think it, so. I think it's interesting because it's like, yes, there was perhaps this archetype of the anti-establishment. I'm going to throw everything off the shackles of mm-hmm. expectations and do whatever, whatever I want to do. Again, those people were going to be fine. It was just telling the lie of. Like, that's what you, it's like a gap year. Like, of course, so, yeah, you had your moment where you went and you acted crazy and you acted out and you, but you're still going to go work in an office and climb the corporate Well, I, I mean, I think what Denby's talking about, you know, you've got, like, 
take like Harold and Maude. Okay. Right? So Harold, that whole movie was about him breaking out of that horrifically repressive, Mm -hmm. wealthy world that his, you know, his mother kept trying to fit him into. And then he meets Maude and he goes a completely different way. Yes. That's not what's going on in Risky Business. No. No, it isn't. Harold also needed therapy. But (laughs) yeah. (laughs) That kid was doing some strange shit. Staging elaborate suicide attempts. There's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) A little bit. He's creative. Uh Uh-huh. He was colorful. That's what we'll call it. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. Those are two very different characters. All right, well, let's let's get to what his, his departure point, if there is one in this movie, is. So his friend Miles, this is Curtis Armstrong, mm-hmm. is trying to talk him into calling a hooker. Sure. And first of all, let's talk about that character. Because he presents himself, at least, as the worldly playboy. I mean, he's full of shit. <laughs> just like all young boys like they're all full of shit that's what they should tell you guys he's about like your all friends. the worldly experience at that age I like, know that person is yeah. full of shit they haven't done anything and he actually admits that later in the yes. movie joel says what was all that you know sometimes you got to say what the fuck shit was that real or was that just bullshit and he says that was just bullshit joel Okay, but anyway, so he calls a sex worker to come over to Joel's house. Mm-hmm. The first one that shows up is, what's what's her name? Jackie. Yes. So Jackie is played for comic relief, which I'm uncomfortable with. Yes. Jackie is a black trans woman. Yes. And of course, she shows up at the door and Joel is just sort of disgusted and is like, I like, absolutely not. This, I can't this was not what I right. meant to order. So that seemed unnecessary to me. That was a very like 80s movie mm. moment that could have, we didn't, you didn't need to make her a joke. Well, I mean, yes, situationally, I agree with you, but I actually think they play that very well and that yes. character actually comes across okay. She's like, you know what? I've dealt with this before. Mm-hmm. You want to pretty as, white girl? As long as you mm-hmm. pay me, we're fine and I'll get out of here. Yeah, no, I mean, I th- absolutely makes the best of that role. Yeah. But that didn't need to, we no, didn't need it, to have that didn't. moment. It didn't. That was also the only character of color in that film, wasn't it? Jackie? Yeah. Pretty close, if not, I mean, there. I don't even think there were any background yeah. characters. Okay. In fact, I noticed there was a scene of when the all of these sex workers are filing into the house. There was no There were no them, black no. women there. No. I noticed that. No. And Joel would not have any black friends, so. <laughs> but then she gives him Lana's number, and she says, it's what you want. It's what all the white boys off the lake are mm-hmm. looking for. Mm-hmm. And then Lana shows up. Yes. This is Rebecca de Mornay. Yes. She is the woman of his dreams, <laughs> all legs and thin and white and blonde and perfect. That first, and this is that weird tonal thing of this movie, that first sex scene, which... It looks like a dream sequence. It is. It's very much like a dream sequence. Because the doors blow open and right. the leaves are sort of... It's, it's a music very, video. It's really weirdly done. Yeah. Yeah. When in reality, it would have been just totally awkward. Right. And, yeah. So I think that fantasy level is sort of baked into this movie, mm-hmm. where it's like everything that happens is on this level of fantasy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But talk to me about Lana. Uh, Lana's about her business. She knows her customer very well. Mm-hmm. And she's a hustler. So she gives Joel the night that he was looking for. And then in the morning when she's like, do you have my money? 
And he's sort of like, oh, yeah, I don't have that kind of money. She well, okay, let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. She wants 300 bucks. And he had like 50, I think. It was. And he had $50. He so I, I looked up the inflation on this. <laughs> so we're talking about 800 bucks is what she was asking for in today's money. Okay. Totally reasonable. Sure. That's, she was there all night. That's, that's very reasonable. Were I a sex worker? Yes. And I could not demand these prices because it would be ridiculous. $5,000. If I'm doing this shit. Okay. And then he's got, he, he has $50 on him. How yeah. much did he think this was going to be? Well, he was not familiar with the market. It's about 150 in they today's They cover dollars. that in Future Entrepreneurs of America, whatever the hell that group is. But yeah, that was a... Granted, he gave $75 to Jackie yes. to get rid of Jackie. Yes. But still, it, he, he needed to be better prepared for this. Well, luckily, he had a bond. So. <laughs> you guys, you kids have a lot of bonds. Kids and their bonds. Just cash that bond in. <laughs> Don't you usually get paid up front anyway? Isn't that sort of an, uh, an upfront business? Mm. I think Lana kind of dropped a stitch there. I don't know, actually, if you get paid up front. I mean, that would, to me, be best practice uh, because I imagine you can get screwed a lot. But I guess that's the point of a pimp is that you could then have somebody pretty close by and like, see, break we, that we fucker's the killer pimp knees. Yeah. <laughs> but now I guess it would all be like, you know, Venmo or something. So. <laughs> Problem solved. Cash at me my shit. So yeah, he has to go out to the bank to get a to get a bond cashed. Yes. And while he's gone, she takes his egg. Yes, his mother's weird glass egg that seems <laughs> is like priceless or something. Like, right. Of all the shit in that house, she took that egg. So maybe it was like a in the maybe it was like a Faberge egg in the script, and they just couldn't get the rights to that or something. I don't. It, it is a weird. Because it looks, it looks like sort of a tacky piece of crap. Yeah, it is. Because like, it, it is a like tacky piece of crap. Thousands of dollars. But I also think Faberge eggs look like tacky pieces of shit. So. <laughs> there goes that sponsor. <laughs> Why the fuck do you need a bejeweled egg? <laughs> I really don't understand. There's a lot of shit. I don't know why we need. You think we need it, so. Well, not a bejeweled egg, though. I don't think there's anything that I have that's comparable to a bejeweled egg that just sits... On a, on a pedestal. I feel like those types of things deserve to be stolen. <laughs> if, if you have a bejeweled yeah, egg like, or a crystal egg. You're asking for like, that shit to be know, taken. So there's really no other purpose to it. I mean, it. really, but to be stolen. But to be something you got to fill out a police report on. <laughs> My Fabergé egg that's worth thousands of dollars. Got any leads? <laughs> Anybody try to move a Fabergé egg recently? What's the going rate on the black market? How's the market? What can I get for this Fabergé egg? The fuck? (laughs) fuck Get out of here. It's about as useful as Bitcoin. Bring me the stereo. Get out of here. Like, if you took it to a pawn shop, Uh I don't think the proprietor... Well, if they knew what it was, and they knew that it had value, then maybe. But otherwise... But you would need... So they would either It has no intrinsic value. Right. But then you're assuming that people coming into a pawn shop have Fabergé egg money (laughs) to then buy it off of you, which they... It's unlikely. And that people shopping for Fabergé eggs would be going to a pawn shop. To a pawn shop Unless it's like, one. oh, that's a pawn shop in that wealthy-ass neighborhood. They probably have some Fabergé <laughs> eggs. Let me go check it out. Or you have a connect that can move it and like turn it into some money. But then it's like, then you have to have a Fabergé egg guy. <laughs> Who knows how to flip that shit and get you your money. <laughs> so I just don't have Fabergé eggs in your home. If for no other reason, then it's inconsiderate for the robbers. Because it's just like, it's a fucking load you know, when I was in college, I had a Fabergé egg guy, but I just... You know? I, I lost you lose his touch. number. You lose touch with the weed guy and the Fabergé egg guy. <laughs> and then you just, you're a dick with a Fabergé egg. The fuck am I supposed I to do with this? can't move this fucking can't Fabergé move this fucking egg. egg. What am, what am I supposed to do with this? So... Put it on the mantle. I just don't... I don't understand. 
<laughs> the value in it. Other than to say rob me. If I went to someone's house <laughs> and they had a Faberge egg, uh. 95% of my being would want to steal that egg. Just off GP. <laughs> just because you're a fucking asshole. You need to take it. They need to feel that loss and then think about their choices. How much more time you want to spend on the on the egg question? I mean, if somebody has some connects just to a Faberge egg Ballpark person, for me, just so I can budget this episode. How much more time do you want to spend talking about well, the egg? Well, so I, I mean, I would need more information, right? I'm not, I don't actually have a good sense of how much Faberge eggs cost. Because then that would determine how much time I want to spend talking about it. I, if I we're, think it depends on how ornate, bejeweled yes. you want them. Mm-hmm. Is it a Baroque Faberge <laughs> egg? Yes. So if I could get like 20 grand for it, mm-hmm. let's continue talking about it. But I just don't know. I mean, I think that's possible. I think probably there are. I, I mean, I could Google it, but I'm not. I'm not going to. Okay. I, I think they're pretty pricey. Okay. Do we know anyone that would have one? Personally, yes. I, I do not. No. I don't think I do either. But if I knew Faberge egg people, I probably you know would have gone to a better college, at least, <laughs> or chosen a different major. Moving on now, if we must. <laughs> I don't even know where we are anymore. The egg. That's, of course, we're at the egg. We're still. <laughs> she stole the egg. Uh, this is around the time Joey Pants shows up here. Who? Joey oh. Pantoliano. You call him Joey Pants? Joey Pants. That's what they call him. Yes. Okay. Does he know what they call him that? Uh, I think so. All right. Guido. Guido the killer pimp. Yes. Not a killer. <laughs> Guido was not frightening. No. No. He was like. I mean, if you're Joel. I guess if you're Joel, right. sure. But if you're me, you're like take no. Any pimp wearing like brown suits? Mm, it's not right. You're not scary. I also think you're wearing a hairpiece. You're not scary. <laughs> so Lana has had a tiff with Guido, who is her manager. Yes. What do we got? So we got we got some some chase scenes. We're driving the Porsche all over the city. Mm-hmm. I've lost track of the plot. Somehow, <laughs> somehow they end up. Somehow she and her friend end up in the house. Yes. Hiding from Guido. Yes. And this is where they start to get the idea that you know maybe we can get our friends together. Mm-hmm. Tell your friends to get with my friends. Right. Maybe we can be friends. And Joel doesn't like that idea at first. Sure. And then he puts his father's Porsche in Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, needs needs to make some money to, to get the Porsche detailed. Yeah. Which I don't think that could have been saved, but okay. <laughs> I think it would still smell like E. coli. And- yeah. Uh, yes. So... Lana being the brilliant capitalist that she is. <laughs> you liked Lana, didn't you? Because Lana's about her business. Like, I like, you're very clear. This is, this is money. I need to, we don't have time. You're doing an interview with Princeton. I need to put a mattress in this room so I can get this <laughs> rotation yeah, turn going. Turn this room we gotta, over. We got to move this. Um, so I respect the hustle very much. Because here's the thing. How long can you be a sex worker? Mm-hmm. So... If you can move up to into management, you know, do that. I like that scene. It's right before the Porsche goes in the lake, which we'll have to discuss whether she does that on purpose. But he he starts to like, oh, tell me your sad, sad story yeah. about why you're. And she's like, fuck off. And she's like, you know, don't lecture me while you're leaning on your daddy's, daddy's $40,000 car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so this is where we get, you know, the comedic premise <laughs> of the movie, which is white suburban kid runs a whorehouse. Out of his out of his parents' house, mm-hmm. and no neighbor calls the cops. Which no, <laughs> really? Like, yeah. Okay. So yeah, apparently every 
horny white teenager, teenage boy has a bond that their grandma. Some of them look like they're about thirteen years old. Yeah, so there's, there's no, it's a, very a inappropriate. It's very inappropriate. <laughs> uh, but they all cash out their bonds prematurely, which is gonna fuck them. And <laughs> go to the go to Joel's house to get get some some action. Mm-hmm. This was apparently uh, Paul Brickman has said he got a lot of notes from the studio. They wanted. They're like, you have a whole scene in the middle of the movie with hookers and horny teenage boys, and there's not like a single bear boob. Like, you don't need a bear. What boob. is the like? This should be the fun party scene with a lot of nudity. It's implied. And Brickman was like, yeah, no, we don't want to do that. No. But that would have been the Porky scene. Yeah. That would have been the you know panty raid and Revenge of the Nerds scene. And I, you, know, you got to respect the movie that it doesn't do that. No, yeah, I, yeah, I don't think that you didn't need that. Right. We all understood what was happening there. You didn't need to then make those women into jokes in that way because that's all that that would have been. Right. And that actually would have made that scene even worse than it already. Like it was already like oh, this is uncomfortable. Like this is not okay. Right. Um, <laughs> but that would have made it much worse. And this, I think, is where Joel changes, too, right? Because he, we, we get a little montage of him doing sales around town. Mm-hmm. And now he's got the sunglasses on and the cigarette hanging from his and mouth. And, and, yeah. and he's all cool and sophisticated. Right. I don't think it takes much to sell <laughs> hot sex women to and sex. To, and guaranteed boys. sex. Like, not, like <laughs> absolutely, you are be guaranteed to have sex as long as you have money. Uh, but, yeah, sure, he was a top-notch salesman. <laughs> but, well, this is where he becomes... A capitalist. Mm-hmm. He was always a capitalist. <laughs> it's a better product than that memo thing yeah, they the were trying to make in Isn't high school. Isn't that why we have answering machines? <laughs> yes, I think so, yes. When were post-its invented? <laughs> I, I do not know. Okay. Didn't Romy and Michelle invent post-its? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, then, like you said, the uh, the Princeton interview. So I don't know if he forgot about he, it. I think he totally forgot about it, okay, yes. His father like... had set up an interview. With a Princeton rep to... Happens to be the night of the brothel, Mm -hmm. of the pop-up brothel. But he seems unfazed and is just like, yeah, let's do this interview. (laughs) Does not explain any of what's going going on. The Princeton guy does not ask about anything that's going on. Uh, And they sit there... He says, is this a bad time? Well, yeah. When he should have said, should I be calling the police? They talk about his sort of mediocre... SAT scores and not really Princeton material, no. are we, Joel? His list of like volunteer shit, and it's just like you're a basic bitch. We're no, not like a, a solid B minus yeah, average. We're not, and... we're not probably gonna move past this, but then titties, and so apparently that's all it takes to get into Princeton is you get the the recruitment officer laid. Well, I mean, I think the recruitment officer basically viewed this as an extracurricular activity. Okay. Doesn't make up for the shitty SAT scores. Gave him credit for that. This was future entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Future running a brothel out of a Princeton dorm room. Well, that's, I think, when we get to the end of the movie, we should discuss that. Where are we? Uh, So she wants to get ice cream. Oh, yes, she wants to get ice cream and... Fuck on a train. And have sex on a train. Yeah. Which... We have never done. Because... We have been in Chicago, like, 20 years. I... You and I have never had slow-mo sex on a Barely want to sit on a train. <laughs> I knew that's what you were thinking the whole time. In the summer, if I'm wearing a skirt or shorts, I'm standing the you're not, fuck you're up. You're not sitting on those seats. <laughs> like, just... So that's not a sexy space for me. And then your dick ass throws the unhoused gentleman <laughs> off the train so that you can hurry up and fuck this girl on the train. Yeah. 
That's not cool. No. Doesn't even give him some money. No, he just kicks him off the you train. You just made $8,000. You can't even give the just... bum a 20. Or let him watch the show. <laughs> Do something. So, no, I, I that, that was not a sexy moment for me because I don't find that the, the L at all romantic or sexy. The smell alone. Yeah. <laughs> is just, I, and maybe we could start like parsing lines. Like, okay, maybe brown line. Maybe. <laughs> Definitely not the red Definitely line. Definitely not the red <laughs> Definitely not. The blue line in some spaces. Nope. So, yeah. Metro, maybe. Maybe on the metro. Maybe sure. the metro. <laughs> what do you think the Venn diagram of people who are going to understand these references is? They've already gone. They left at the Fabergé egg conversation. It's like, what the fuck is this? And then Joel gets home and discovers that. <laughs> they stole all the shit. That was my favorite. I wish they had kept his shit. Like... <laughs> Because then you realize she's been, like, conning him this whole time. <laughs> well, that's uh, something else. No, she absolutely to... has. <laughs> okay. I have decided. I guess we don't need to discuss No, we do it. not need to discuss Like, stole his fucking mama's clothes. <laughs> I loved it. That was stole my favorite everything. part. everything. He walks into the house. Everything. Because we saw her earlier when she was left alone in the house. She was casing it. Casing it. She was checking out the rugs. Like, she, she knew the brands the of silver and shit. You don't leave that bitch in your house by yourself? I have family I wouldn't leave in my house by themselves. And you're leaving some random broad? No. No. So I, I really did so you So you're firmly on the side of she took him out to fuck on a train. So that they could so that, take his shit. Yes. So that Guido and her friend yes. could come. She may have also, like, it's a both and. I did want to have sex with you on a train and get some ice cream. I also wanted to clean out your shit. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. And I respect that. That's what, when we, remember we watched Body Heat? Yes. That's what Kathleen Turner said about that character. They asked her, you know, was she conning him the whole time or did she really love him? And she's like, no. It can be both. He was like, she liked sex. Is that like taco? <laughs> she enjoyed commercial? the sex and she was going to get yes. paid. So <laughs> I'm firmly for it. It is a brilliant con. Because mm-hmm. then all of the money that he made. Goes back to Guido. It, on the brothel operation. Now has to he has to spend to buy back his shit from Guido the killer pimp. Yes. <laughs> and they crack his mama's egg. <laughs> so, okay. So now I think we're at the point where we need to talk about the ending of this movie. Okay. Um, and this was one of the main reasons Paul Brickman walked away from Hollywood. Okay is that he fought with the studio for about six months over the ending to this movie and lost. The studio wanted it to end up beat. The studio wanted it to end with them at least tentatively together. Mm -hmm. And so that final scene where they're like walking in the park and bantering, that's the scene that he says was just No, she would have never seen him again. Right. She got what she wanted. (laughs) There's no reason to see that man again. So, this is an article by Dana Harris in Variety. She says, in the original script, Joel doesn't get the girl, doesn't go to Princeton, and breaks his mom's precious crystal egg. That would have been a better ending. So, there's actually an alternate ending that you can find on YouTube. I'll link to it in the show notes. Where it ends in that dinner scene, that they're in the Hancock building. Yes. Where he asks her, was the whole thing a con? Mm-hmm. And she says... No. Of course not. <laughs> not very convincingly. But it's it's just, it's much darker and it's much more melancholy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And apparently the test audiences didn't like that ending. So the studio insisted, threatened to fire him if he didn't mm-hmm. shoot this, this more upbeat ending. Mm-hmm. 
So what, what what's your read of, of the ending? Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely... I probably would have preferred the ending be they stole all the shit and then his parents come home and see that all the shit is gone. Like, that, and that's it. I don't care that he, if you go to Princeton or not. I don't really care what happens after that. It's I, For me, it was just more about you thought you were engaged in something that you were not. You weren't. Right. Um, but this need to, like, have him basically both question capitalism, but then get everything and right. all the benefits and privileges all that capitalism. Rewards. It's like, okay, so that's where you get to, like, I'm not quite sure what the film is saying, mm-hmm. but... Well, I, th- I think the way they mess with the ending definitely confuses mm-hmm. because he does get everything he yeah. ever wanted. And then reading about the original ending and watching the video, it's weird. There's there's two different cynical endings that I could see coming out of that. Mm-hmm. One of them is he loses everything he ever wanted. He gets punished for all of this, right? He doesn't right. get to go to Princeton. He doesn't get the money. He doesn't get Lana. Mm-hmm. But the other one, and I feel like in the video of the alternate ending, there's a little hint of this, is that he becomes a pimp, mm. is that he becomes Lana's new pimp. He becomes the new Guido. At the end of that scene, and it is sort of dark and moody, he's like, come here. And then she comes and sits next to him. She's like, no, come closer. And she like crawls into his lap. And there's like a weird power dynamic mm. thing going on there, almost like he's the new Guido, Yeah, which is another dark, but and cynical ending that this could have gone, yeah. right? And that's easy to imagine too, right? He's going to sure. go off to Princeton. He's going to be super pimp. <laughs> super pimp? Super pimp. Is he super because he's at Princeton? <laughs> Is that what makes him super? <laughs> yes. Ivy League pimp? Ivy League pimp. I like I like your ending, which is that Lana just disappears yeah, and never fucking just like, sees him again. Yeah, take the shit and go. <laughs> I don't know to talk about. Transaction over. So this it sounds like this is maybe another relationship that you don't have a lot of hope for at the end of the romantic comedy. Well, no, if he's going to Princeton, he's not going to continue dating Lana. Maybe Lana gets out of the life. Lana's not going to get out of the life. Not anytime soon, not until she has like a good nest egg sort of set up for herself. A real egg? or A, a real egg, not a bullshit <laughs> egg that you have to fence. Uh, a, a, a real egg. And she can, you know, do what she wants to do. Lana's too smart for Princeton. <laughs> do that bullshit lana's like you know a better prepared uh jamie lee curtis from trading places where she's mm. like i got my shit in t-bills mm-hmm. collecting interest don't bullshit me it's about the money so like that's that's my hope for lana is that she has a bond that she's not checking out to fuck somebody well she made the same mistake which is that you you know you start falling for the guy was she falling for him though <laughs> well i think that's a major question in this film i don't think he was worth falling for there wasn't anything special about Joel. There really wasn't. But then, you know, I guess he turned into Tom Cruise, so. Right, but that he wasn't Tom Cruise <laughs> at the end of that movie. She would need to wait a few more years before he became Tom. I would say even Top Gun, Tom Cruise is still not good enough for Lana. Like, you still need some more seasoning. So so what do you think this movie's saying about capitalism? I don't know. I don't know if the movie knows what it's saying about <laughs> capitalism. I still feel the same way about capitalism, so. Which is? It's fucking evil. It's a terrible construct that demands an underclass and privileges those who don't always... It's not about... It's not a meritocracy. No, definitely not. So Okay, so capitalism evil. Mm-hmm. But if you have to live in one, get paid. Yes. It's pretty solid <laughs> philosophy, I think. At least it's an ethos. You know. All right, anything else to say about risky business? Yeah, no, I don't have anything else to say about risky business. <laughs> Interesting for what it is... Okay. Or an 80s. More interesting than you thought it was going to be. I'm sure. Could have been braver with the ending. Lana was the best part. I think that's a good review. Right. 
That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for the next episode of The Unenthusiastic Critic. Nikia, I don't know if you've heard, but we have a new president. And this has come as quite a blow to the whack job, MAGA-headed conspiracy freaks on the internet. It's disparaging language. Who believed, apparently right up until the moment it happened, that it was not going to happen. (laughs) That there was some sort of secret master plan that would ensure a second Trump term. Was anybody actually planning the master plan, though? I, I think I think that's what's disappointed them, is discovering that, no. Nobody did the work. No. Okay. Which is, to be fair, is typical of the entire Trump administration. <laughs> but one of the theories was this. This was posted just one week before the inauguration. They said, don't worry, Biden has secretly been arrested. And through an experimental surgery, the faces of Biden and Trump were being switched. Ah. So when you are watching Biden's inauguration, you will really be watching Trump be sworn in for a second term. And when you are watching the Trump trials, that is really Biden paying for his crimes. Okay. So maybe that happened. We don't know. The point being, fucking face off. This is all the is excuse what, is I need this is? to make God you watch. Damn it, John Woo's face off no. from 1997. I, no. Cage, Travolta. I'm not interested in any of that. Playing themselves and playing each other. Nope. I think this is gonna be a good. I don't one. think this qualifies under our experiment. <laughs> I think if it is filtered into the internet conspiracy contingent, I I feel like it qualifies as a cultural phenomenon. I'm not doing (laughs) so. I think think you're going to enjoy this one. I'm going to have a problem with the science. (laughs) You should just leave that at the door. You should leave that at the door right now. In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com. Follow us on Twitter at freerangecritic or subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. In any of these places, we encourage you to leave a comment on the show or suggest a film Nakia desperately needs to see to make her life complete. Until next time, remember, true love means conning your partner into watching movies they really, really don't want to watch. What are you laughing at? Because you're looking at me strange now. (laughs) As though you're sitting across from a stranger. So So FYI for the listeners, because you can't see me. Yeah, I was I was just going to edit around that, but if you want to explain it, I'll leave it in. The way that I'm dealing with my mental and emotional crises of this moment and the constant seeing myself on Zoom is that I've purchased multiple wigs. <laughs> a number of new at wigs. At this point. <laughs> and so I'm wearing a different one right now and Michael doesn't know who I am. I like it though. It's, you know, keep it keeps it fresh. <laughs> We call this sort of a Mia Farrow. It's very short. It is very short. We, we need to do a picture. We're not doing a picture. We'll do a picture and put it up on Twitter. We're, we're not doing a picture. <laughs> it's inspired by Tessa Thompson's haircut in Sylvie's Love. In Sylvie's Love. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously I do not look like Tessa Thompson. So it's just me in a wig. <laughs> and I like to go on Zoom and not explain my hair. <laughs> so it's a pixie cut today and see if any of the white people in your meetings <laughs> and tomorrow dare say anything down to my shoulders <laughs> and i will say nothing i like it because sometimes i hear the people in your meetings say oh you got a new haircut and then like the next day you'll be wearing a longer wig mm-hmm. and nobody i think knows quite what to no. say i think they just like we're not gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna discuss it no. <laughs> Nakia's going through <laughs> a moment and it's a manifest we're just gonna let her work that out with cheap hair on her head from $20 wigs. This is cute, though. It's got kind of a French New Wavey sort of thing to it. You think everything is French New Wave? (laughs) You're in a French New Wave place right now.
You just don't want to talk about this movie, do you? Not really, <laughs> but we can, sure. Okay.